Good morning, everybody. Everybody good? It's the prettiest day ever, most beautiful Sunday ever, so I'm glad that you're here in God's house with me. Open your Bibles to Judges chapter 6. I feel so bad, y'all. You know, we moved the stage around uh, during that bumper video there, and the pregnant woman moved my table. Like, you know, I feel like the worst possible kind of man to just let the pregnant woman, you know, because she's like, you know, two years pregnant. I mean, she's been pregnant forever. Uh, so God bless Haley. Thank you for taking care of me, Haley. But yes, yeah, she's moving my table around while I stand here and, and adjust my microphone. Uh, Judges chapter 6. We are in the middle now of a sermon series entitled The Wild West of the Bible. We're talking about the book of Judges. The Wild West in American history was a time when a large section of the country was outside government control. There was lawlessness and chaos. There were Buffalo Roman, and there were saloon girls being crazy, and cowboys uh, chasing their cattle, and uh, everything was uh, pretty much a wild, wild place. And it's very comparable to the land of Israel during the period of the Judges, which we find in the book of Judges. And that's what we've been talking about. Now, in this book, there is this continual cycle, which we've been talking about, and which we find again today in chapter 6. The people of God, they sin. They suffer, they cry out to God, he sends a judge to rescue them, and then they forget, they go back to sin, and it just repeats on and on and on. Today, uh, we pick up uh, in that same cycle with a judge whose name is Gideon. We won't do his whole story because we can, it goes on for chapters. Gideon's amazing, uh, but this is his calling, and perhaps something of a calling for all of us if you listen to the word of the Lord today. I'm going to start in verse 7, Judges chapter 6, verse 7. If you're joining by way of audio, video, podcast, Facebook Live, YouTube, wherever you are, uh, grab a Bible and follow with us. Judges chapter 6, verse 7. When they cried out to the Lord because of Midian, the Lord sent a prophet to the Israelites and he said, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. I brought you up out of slavery in Egypt. I rescued you from the Egyptians and from all who oppressed you. I drove you out uh, drove out your enemies and gave you their land. I told you, I am the Lord your God. You must not worship the gods of the Amorites in whose land you now live. But you have not listened to me. Verse 11. Then the angel of the Lord came and sat beneath the great tree at Ophrah, which belonged to Joash of the clan of Abiezer. Gideon, son of Joash, was threshing wheat at the bottom of a wine press to hide the grain from the Midianites. The angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, Mighty hero, the Lord is with you. Sir, Gideon replied, If the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? And where are all the miracles our ancestors told us about? Didn't they say the Lord brought us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and handed us over to the Midianites. And the Lord turned to him and said, Go. With the strength you have and rescue Israel from the Midianites, I am sending you. So as we said, we pick up in the middle of this, this cycle. The people of Israel, the people of God are officially stuck. And they keep getting stuck in the same place. It's a cycle. They come back to the Lord. They walk with the Lord. The Lord blesses them. They enjoy his protection, his favor. They forget the Lord. They forget that there ever was a Lord. They turn away from him. They try to take control of their own lives. They drive their own lives, you know, off a cliff. 
they begin to suffer. Typically, an enemy nation will come and conquer them, uh, abuse them, occupy them. In this case, it's the Midianites who have come. They suffer. Uh, in this case, the Midianites have a starvation campaign against the people of Israel. So the people are literally starving and desperate and hopeless. And then finally, they cry out to the Lord. And as the cycle goes, when they cry out to the Lord, God raises up a, a judge, a rescuer. But if you notice in verse 7, there's something different here this time. There's always a judge that God raises up. But in this case, when they cry out to the Lord because of Midian, the Lord raises up a preacher. Yeah. If the Bible could do that sad, you know, wah, wah, that sad trombone, like that's, that's what you expect right there. Because you want a warrior. You want a rescuer. You want somebody, a Deborah, you know, someone who can go, you know, Ehud, who can go and somehow, you know, use weapons of war, take the people of God into battle and rescue the people. But, but in this case, you know, wah, wah, we get a preacher. We get a sermon. There's a sermon before the salvation. And what's up with that? Why does God send a prophet before he sends a judge to actually deliver the people? Well, it goes back to what I've been saying. They're stuck in this cycle. And that cycle is going to continue to repeat unless something changes. Now, there's an old saying that, that goes like this. If nothing ever changes, say it. Nothing ever changes. If nothing ever changes, nothing ever changes. Y'all know what this means, right? Like, it sounds like it's silly, but it's not silly. This is profoundly true. And honestly, if you could understand this, if you could understand this, then you would realize why in your life you continue to live and live again the, the same patterns, the, the same kind of cycle. You continue to, to fall in love, move in, live together, then get married, and then get divorced, and then you just start to cycle over. Now, you've gone through this cycle three and four times. You've been married multiple times, and it always ends in the same way. And you've never stopped to understand that, that if anything's ever going to change, something's got to change. You just haven't yet figured out what to change or, or how to change, right? I've got, what, three more days of school for most of the students. You're flunking out of Algebra 1 for the second time. So you're going to have to repeat Algebra 1. You're never going to see Algebra 2 until you get out of Algebra 1. But you get stuck in Algebra 1 for the simple reason that, what, you, you haven't done a single page of homework ever in Algebra 1, you know, and you never learn. I mean, slow learners that we are, we never seem to learn anything from our lives. And so we repeat the same sick, the same sinful cycles that keeps us stuck. You understand? So in this case, before God sends the judge, God sends a preacher, God sends a prophet to try to explain to them why it is that they're always stuck. Why it is that they always drive their life off a cliff and require a rescuer over and over and over. The prophet's never really named. At the same time, he gives a really simple sermon. It's only got two parts. He talks about what God has done for them, which is everything. And then he talks about what they have done for God, which is nothing. And that's basically the sermon. I, the Lord says... I rescued you from the Egyptians. I brought you up out of slavery in Egypt. I drove out your enemies. I gave you their land. I told you I am the Lord your God. You must not worship the gods of the Amorites in whose land you now live. But you have not listened to me. They don't listen. They don't learn. And so they say stuck. 
God gives them the sermon so that they can understand why it is that nothing ever seems to work. Why their lives continue to just spin with no traction. Why they continue to get all the good things of life and, and put it in a pocket with holes in it. Everything just falls out the bottom of, of everything in their life. And this is the problem. Nothing ever changes, so nothing ever changes. They need genuine repentance. They need a change of heart, a change of mind. But instead, mostly what they give is regret. They're suffering, and for that reason, they're sorry, but simply mostly sorry that their lives are so difficult, life is so miserable. There is real, no desire for change or any real repentance. And so for that reason, you get the idea the cycle's going to continue. It's not good. But, but it also is what makes me just love the Lord in verse 11. I mean, he just says, you don't listen. I do everything for you. You don't listen to me. But then in verse 11, still, he sends the angel of the Lord to raise up a judge because that's just God. God's always moving toward us in mercy. God's always moving toward us, giving us what we don't deserve. I mean, they need to repent. They need to change. They, they need something to change. But the only real hope is in the Lord. And so the Lord continues to reach out to them in mercy and in, in grace. Do you see that? He sends a messenger to raise up a judge even before the people have shown any real repentance. God is good. He's good to you in all the same ways. So the messenger of the Lord, it says in verse 11, the angel of the Lord came and sat beneath the great tree at Ophrah, which belonged to Joash of the clan of Abiezer, and Gideon was threshing wheat at the bottom of a winepress. I walked in the door today, and Warren Weeks met me at the door, and he said, are you going to answer the question of why the angel goes all the way from heaven and then just sits under a tree? I said, no. <laughs> no. I'm not planning to answer that at all. But that was Warren's question today. Why does the angel, the messenger of the Lord, come all the way, you know, from heaven and then just sit under the tree, uh, his path eventually crosses with a young man named Gideon? We don't know anything about Gideon, really. I mean, this is where his story begins. We don't get any backstory. Many scholars believe that he's very young, probably a teenager, possibly a teenager. I'm not sure about that. When I read through his story, I know ultimately he has sons, even a grandson mentioned. And I don't know how much time passes. We don't get a lot of sense of that. So it's hard to know, but it's easy enough to recognize that at this beginning of his story, he's quite young. He says that he's the youngest in his family. Uh, actually, what he says is he's the weakest. He's the least impressive member of the least impressive family of the least impressive clan of what is at this point a very unimpressive nation. Israel. So there's not a lot to say about Gideon at the beginning of his story. He's a kid. He's a teenager, perhaps, um, with really nothing good to say. He is a victim of circumstances that are way beyond his control, and his life is pretty hard. If you do read forward, you'll find out, I think it's chapter 8, uh, the Midianites have already killed all of Gideon's brothers. They've killed his brothers already. So when we meet him, the scripture says he is threshing out grain he's threshing out wheat in a wine press and that's weird because it's weird um, remember I, I told you the Midianites have this starvation campaign against the Israelites that they, they literally are keeping them weak by by starving them taking anything that that they would have that would make them prosper or thrive or, or even survive and so Gideon is threshing out wheat in a wine press he knows if the Midianites knew that he had wheat they would confiscate it possibly kill him. 
So when the angel appears to Gideon, understand that, that setting. This is a young man who's lost all of his brothers. He is probably starving, literally starving, desperate, hopeless, and doing all he can with circumstances beyond his control. This Gideon at the beginning of the story. And so, the angel of the Lord appears to Gideon, verse 12, and says, Mighty hero, the Lord is with you. That's my favorite part of the whole passage right there. I love that so much. Mighty hero. Okay, I just told you who Gideon is. Did I use the words mighty hero to describe? I I think I said terrified teenager, you know? I mean, is the, maybe, somebody tell Warren, maybe the angel was lost, you know, at the wrong house and sat under the tree to try to get a better Wi-Fi signal, you know, for GPS to, because he's looking for a mighty hero, but he's at the house of this teenager who's not much, I mean, there's nothing to brag about Gideon here at all. He, he's not mighty. Mighty hero is how my translation says it, New Living Translation. You may have mighty warrior, which is awesome. Uh, the Hebrew there just simply means like man of valor. It's a man of war, a man of courage. Uh, but can we just all agree Gideon's none of that? He's never been to battle. He's never shown any courage. He's a scared teenager, you know, just trying to get enough food together for the next meal. He's never been to battle, never picked up arms. He's never done anything impressive. I tell you again, he's the least impressive member of the least impressive family, the least impressive clan. I mean, he is not any of these things. So why does the messenger of the Lord say, mighty hero? I mean, that's what he calls him, mighty man of valor. It's a simple principle, but I love this. God sees you for what you can be and not for what you've always been. God sees you for what you can be. Honestly, Gideon has never been a man of valor. He's never been a mighty hero. He's never been any kind of warrior, but he's going to be. God sees that. God knows what's in him. And God calls it out right here by giving him this brand new name that he's never done anything to earn, but he's about to grow into it. You understand? Mighty hero, man of valor, mighty warrior. Huh. One day John Eldridge said that he had taken his boys uh, rock climbing. Uh, Sam was the youngest, and Sam went first. So John was on the ground, on belay, he had the rope, he was anchoring, and Sam started going up the, the rock face. They were just doing this for fun. It was just for fun. And Sam's a little guy, the youngest boy, and he started going up. He's doing pretty good. But he got to a certain place on the rock face, and uh, there was an overhang, and he just couldn't do it. He just couldn't make, the, he couldn't make that distance. And he began to become frustrated, then afraid, and then he started to cry, and he just sort of melted down. And John just said, Sam, it's okay. You don't have to do this. Let's just, let's, you know, come down, and we'll go to another place where it could be fun. This is supposed to be for fun. Don't worry about it. I'll bring you down. And Sam said, no, Daddy, I want to do it. I want to do it. So John said, oh, okay, son. So he took a deep breath, and John kind of gave him a boost on the rope and said, all right, son, now look, now, Reach up to the right. There's a, you know, there should be a handhold right there on the right. Reach up. You got it? Okay, pull right there. Good, good. And Sam started making progress. John just saying, yeah, you know, good. See that? There's a, there's a place right there for your foot. Put your left foot right there. Yeah, good. Way to go, son. Awesome, son. Way to go. Sam, you're doing great. You're doing great. And then at one moment while Sam is, you know, finally moving up the, 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 the face of the rock, uh, John just blurts out, 
Sam, you're a wild man. You're a wild man out there. You're a wild man. Go, Sam. Called him a wild man, which is just funny. Um, Sam got to the top, came down, stood beside his dad. The other brother went up in the harness, started climbing up. And John said that Sam stood there beside him for like 10 minutes and didn't say a word. Just stood there for the longest time beside his dad. And then finally he came over to his dad and said, Daddy, did you really think I was a wild man up there? Did you really think I was a wild man up there? Now, I could stop right there and I could preach a whole sermon to fathers because you know that's what your boy needs, right? Your boy needs that, that, that kind of a blessing. Your son needs you to see something in him that he can't see in himself. He, he sees himself through your eyes, Dad, and he needs to hear that from you. Sam was dangling from a rope in tears, not feeling like any sort of strong, wild man, but the fact that his dad saw that in him, you see, that's really important. It's really important. God sees you for what you can be and not for what you've always been. Those of you who know my story, you know I grew up in church. I, I was an, a very unimpressive kid. <laughs> A very ordinary kid. You wouldn't have picked me out of the church kids for anything. I was just kind of a dork. And y'all are thinking, you know, was. <laughs> kind of. I mean, I was a giant. I'm still just a giant. I was a fat little sissy kid. I just was. Uh, when I was young, I was, I think, uh, mama used to buy me husky jeans. That's what they called them. Hus I was husky, husky jeans. Um, I was about this tall and about this wide. And uh, just a church kid, um, dumb little kid, I uh, crawled under the pews, you know, while they had church. Um, I could recognize every church member in our whole church. I knew everybody by their feet, by their shoes. Because I'd, I'd go down, I'd look, and I'd look back up to see who that was. And I, I could study shoes. Anybody ever do that? Anybody remember going up in church like that? Um, I'd crawl under the pews and look at the gum, you know, and the boogers and everything else that's under the pews. I just crawled under the pews. Um, I would take the offering envelopes. I've given millions of dollars just filling them out, you know, and uh, put my gum in them and put it in the plate. And I just, I'm serious. That's, that, that's, that's what I did. Um, the other really, I don't know where I got this, just kind of a weird thing, but I, I had this big black King James Bible, and I would carry it around with me, and I would ask people to sign it. You know, like it was an autograph book or something. I, I mean, I know dork, but I, that's what I did. Um, so if, if I went to a revival or church meeting or something and the preacher was you know, awesome, I would get the preacher to sign my Bible. I just kind of always thought that was a cool thing. Um, one day I realized my own pastor's name was Philip Masters. I never had Brother Phil sign my Bible, so I don't know what came over me. But the, just ordinary Sunday, I waddled up to Brother Phil and said, Brother Phil, would you sign my Bible? I was probably six years old. Brother Phil uh, opened my Bible. He took out a blue ink pen, and he wrote in my Bible, he wrote, to Tim, one of God's giants. Man, I got that, and I read that. You probably should know, I still have that Bible and it stays on my desk in my office right now. It's, it's just, it's, it's that. It's having somebody see in you what you could never see in yourself. 
it, it's like having somebody put a crown on your head that you spend the rest of your life trying to grow into, you know what I mean, to, to be worthy of, of, of that. I guess if, if I could, I would, I would take every kid in this church and I would say that. I would, I would whisper it in their ears, you know, you're one of God's giants. You're just giants. I, I would do that for all of our church kids, for all of our teenagers. I, I just want them to know that, you, you know, because God sees you for what you can be and, and not just for what you've always been. And so the messenger steps out to Gideon and says, mighty warrior, mighty hero, man of valor. I mean, he's, he's never been any of those things. I mean, honestly, Gideon, nobody's ever called him anything like that. They, nobody's ever seen that in him because you wouldn't have seen that in him. That's not who he is. That's not who he's been, but that's who he's going to be. He's about to be all these things. You see that? And so the messenger, there it is right there, the messenger steps out in verse 12, appears to Gideon and says, mighty hero, the Lord is with you. Verse 13, Gideon replies. Now, I don't know what kind of sermon you think we're having, but it's about to go in the other direction. Because Gideon starts talking. And in a lot of ways, you, you will have liked him better before he opened his mouth. Because Gideon's got some things to say back to the messenger of the Lord. And, uh, and it sounds like he's been thinking about some of this for a while. So the messenger of the Lord says, mighty hero, the Lord is with you. Verse 13, Gideon replies, sir, if the Lord is with us, why? I, I could read the whole question there, but do I need to? Because I think you've asked that question before. Gideon replied, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? You ever been stuck with one of those why questions? If, if, if the Lord is with me, he's got some explaining to do. Remember, Gideon is probably literally in a state of starvation. Brothers are dead. He's just trying to get enough grain together to make bread for the day. And here comes a message of the Lord saying, the Lord is with you. Gideon's just like, you've got to explain that to me. Why? Why has everything happened like it's happened? You ever got stuck on that question? Because I have. Just, you know, <laughs> I mean, basically the angel says good morning and Gideon just says, what's so good about it? You know, what's so good about it? I, I mean, Gideon... He's carrying the chip on his shoulder here. I mean, why has all this happened? I mean, if the Lord is with us, why? You, you've asked that. If the Lord is with me, why do I have to live with this kind of pain? If the Lord is with me, why is nobody else with me? If the Lord is with me, why did I have to bury my son? If the Lord is with me, why did I lose my job? If the Lord is with me, why did my wife leave me? If the Lord is with me, why won't my children speak to me? I mean, you know how it goes. If the Lord is with me, why? the Lord is with us, why is our nation, why is our country in such a terrible state? Why is the world as it is? If God is with us, why has all of this happened? Why are these things happening? Why? I have cancer. Why? Ever been stuck on that question? Because that's where Gideon is right now. And, and you've got to recognize it's actually a pretty good question. I can't wait to hear the answer. But Gideon goes on. If the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? And where are all the miracles our ancestors told us about? That's another good question, Gideon. You ever asked that? 
I mean, if God's with me, you know, where's the power? I mean, the God I read about in Scripture is the God of power, signs, and wonders. You know, this God who made things happen, the God for whom all things are possible. But all of a sudden, I pray prayers and, and nothing happens. Or worse, sometimes I pray prayers and I feel like the opposite happens. Like exactly what I prayed for is, is the opposite of, of what I get. And I don't really understand that. Where's the power? Where are the miracles? A God who could heal, you know, sickness while I go through chemotherapy. I mean, where is God? And if he's with us, where is his power? I read the book of Acts, how signs and wonders accompanied the apostles as they preached the gospel. And then, then I read the book of Woodburn, you know, where we continue to be a church in the middle of a wheat field, you know, and, and we try and we try to do, but I don't see a lot of signs and wonders up in this place. I mean, I don't see a lot of miracles. Where are the miracles? We have a prayerless every Wednesday night with all of these sick people. We just pray for the same sick people every Wednesday. Where's the healing? I mean, you ever just ask those questions? Because honestly, sometimes you can't help but ask. If he's with us, why does all this stuff happen? And if he's with us, where's his power? Where are the miracles that our ancestors talk about? I mean, and you think Gideon's done because he's not done. Where are all the miracles our ancestors told us about? Didn't they say the Lord brought us up out of Egypt? Now the Lord has abandoned us and handed us over to the Midianites. It's, it's that. Didn't they tell us that the Lord brought us out of Egypt? Because remember, that's back in the day when the children of Israel were in bondage and they needed deliverance. And Gideon's thinking, well, you know, if they needed deliverance then, we need deliverance now. God's people are in bondage now. If it's a God who delivers his people, then where is he? And doesn't he understand where we are? We're in bondage now. We need an Egypt kind of deliverance right now. We need Moses. We need a Moses right now, right here. They're awfully good questions. Have you asked them? I mean, those kind of questions, you know, where are you, God? And if you're here with me, why? Why is everything, why does the bottom fall out of everything for me? And if, if you're good and you're great, why, why aren't you great? You know, why aren't you great in my life? Why, why don't I see power? Why don't I see answer prayer? Before I go on, you've got, to, you've, got, you've got to hear me say this. Your trouble is not a sign that God has forgotten you. You must not give in to that temptation thinking that because you're having bad circumstances that somehow God is against you, that God is not with you, that God is not for you. You must never surrender to that sort of despair. Your trouble is not a sign that God has forgotten you. I've said it like a thousand times. It doesn't mean you've heard it once. So let me say it again so you can hear it. With God, it doesn't so much matter what happens. What matters is what happens next. Do you understand what I'm saying? You haven't seen what God is going to do next. And that's where you put all your hope. Because you can look at the present circumstances and you can absolutely just want to curl up in a ball and die. But I'm telling you, you, you can't. You can't lose heart because of what has happened. You just have to put all your hope in what God's going to do next because you haven't seen what God's about to do. All right? So Gideon's asking his questions. All the Lord said was, mighty hero, the Lord is with you. And Gideon says, well, yeah, right. If the Lord is with me, then tell me why. 
Tell me why everything's happened like it has. So tell me why the Midianites are breathing down our neck. Tell me why God's people are in bondage now. If the Lord is with us, tell me why all these things have happened. Go ahead. I'll wait for your answer. And while I'm waiting, I got another question for you. Where's the power? Where's the miracles? Where's the signs and wonders? Back in the day, the old folks say God could make bread rain down from heaven. He fed the manna from heaven. I am standing here in a wine press trying to crunch out enough wheat to make bread for one day's lunch. Where's the bread from heaven? Where's the power? Where are the miracles? We need miracles now. Where are they? I'll just stand here and wait. I'll wait while you're about to answer. While you're thinking of that, let me just ask you one more question. Where's the deliverer? I mean, if you could deliver the children, you know, out of Egypt back in the day, well, we need that now. We need that, an Egypt-style deliverance right now. I mean, if you had Moses back then, where's Moses now? We need a Moses now. Where's Moses? I'll just stand here and wait while you answer. Well, he gets an answer. I'm not sure it's the answer he was looking for. Just me being me. I'm not sure this is what he thought he was about to hear. In the same way, when you ask these questions and you think God, you know, never answers me. God never answers me. Oh, I don't know about that. I don't know about that. God answers. God speaks. It's just that lots of times what God says is not what we expected to hear. And sometimes it's not really at all what we wanted to hear. But God's about to answer. So when Gideon's saying, why has all this happened? Where's the miracle? Where's the deliverer? Where's Moses? What does the Lord say? The Lord turns to him. Now, Gideon got going there. I, I got like a paragraph of his questions, but then the Lord answers, and his, his answer is really pretty short, kind of straight to the point. God's answer could kind of be summed up in one word, and what's that word? go. See, Gideon thought he had God right there at the part where he said, where's, where's Moses now? You brought, you brought him out of Egypt back in the day. Well, we need that kind of thing right now. Where's Moses now? And what does God do? God says, surprise, <laughs> you're Moses. Now go and rescue my people. I'm sending you. Well, there's your answer. Is that the answer you were hoping for? That's not the answer you expected, I guarantee you. I think that this is often where our prayer life takes us if you continue to pray and you really are interested in listening to what God will say. Because I think more often than not, the very things you begin to pray for you begin to realize that God is sending you, that, that you yourself are going to be part of the answer to the prayer you're praying. That it doesn't occur to you early on. You know, when we pray, we'll say, you know, Lord God, bless my friend so-and-so. She's sick today. Just bless her with healing. And then, and then at some point it dawns on you, wait, I, I can go see her. I could go visit her. I could go pray with her, you know. And I think that's where, as a Christian, you really begin to grow. When you begin to understand that God is sending you, God is using you. My friend, Lord, he's struggling, he's depressed, he's anxious, he, he really needs encouragement. Well, then, you know, go. It's you. you. So many of the things we pray for, the, the needs that are on our heart, you understand. Like, like, you could take care of that right now. 
But for some reason, that never really crosses our mind. God has to do some sort of work in us when we begin to understand that he wants to use us. So you just got sort of pay attention to yourself. Like all those moments when you're saying, hey, somebody ought to do something about that. You know, you look at the community, you look at the racial relations in Bowling Green and how they seem to be going in the wrong direction, and you're thinking, somebody ought to do something about racial relations in Bowling Green, or, or the number of refugees coming into our city, and that's fantastic. It's also really, really intimidating because all of those people need friends and mentors and neighbors, and, and somebody ought to do something for all those refugees coming into town. I mean, you know how easy it is to, to see what somebody ought to do? Especially in church. Somebody ought to do something to help Nicole out with all the children back in the preschool wing. Somebody ought to do something with the teenagers in this church. Somebody ought to be caring about the senior adults. Somebody ought to be visiting the hospitals. I mean, somebody ought to be doing something. You understand how easy it is to, to be looking for somebody to do something? And you know what happens? Most of the time in those moments, while you're telling God what somebody ought to do, God's going to tap you on the shoulder and remind you that you are somebody. You are somebody. Somebody ought to go on these mission trips and tell people about the gospel. Yeah, yeah, you are somebody. Somebody ought to be up there you know, in the preschool wing helping with these babies. You are somebody. You are somebody. Go. I am sending you. It's, 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 it's really sort of a simple thing in your Christian life, but I think that we really mature when we, when we cross over uh, this gap right here. Most of us are right here. We're waiting around for God to do something for us. Actually, it's most of our prayer lives, telling God what we need him to do for us, as if God exists to serve us, and that's how we think. And so we're all time telling God what he needs to do for us. God, you need to do this for me. You need to do this for my children. You need to give me a house. You need to take care of my bills. You know how it is. You need to heal my body. You need to do all this for me. And then if God doesn't do exactly what you wanted him to do, then you get mad. As pastor of this church, and I love being pastor, I love being your pastor, but I'm telling you, I get so frustrated sometimes when people say, Pastor Tim, I know you wonder where I've been, I dropped out of church, but I just need to tell you, I dropped out because I've been mad at God. <laughs> Bless your heart. <laughs> exactly how and when did God, you know, somehow evoke your anger? I, I mean... Was there a day when he did not put breath in your lungs? Was there a day that he'd not, you know, give you one more day to live? And, and exactly what is it that you think he owed you that you didn't get from him? I mean, what is it that you were entitled to that somehow he didn't give you fairly? I mean, you understand how it is when we just think God is, sort of exists to, to take care of us, to, to do our bidding? you got to stop waiting for God to do something for you because understand that this is where you cross over into a, a mature Christian life. You start asking God to do something through you. You understand the difference? I'm not waiting around for God to do something for me. I'm asking God to do something through me. I, I want God to do his work through me. I don't want God just to do his work for me. I want God to do his work through me. 
not just standing back asking God to go send somebody. I mean, I'm telling you, if there's work to be done, I want to be a part of that. God, do something through me. Do something in me. If there's a battle to be engaged, Lord, send me out into that. I want to be a part of that. I really can't imagine any other kind of Christian life. I mean, do you really think that the Christian life is about sitting in church on a Sunday? You really think this is what it's about? I mean, when you read these words, go, I'm sending you, is there no part of your heart that that aches to hear those words from God? Is there no part of you that says, you know, yes, Lord, I want you to do something through me. I want to serve you. I want to do something for you. I want to make a difference. I want to change the world. If I can't change the world, can I at least change my neighborhood? Can I change my family? Lord, will you work in me and change me? I mean, understand, I mean, Are you listening? When you hear the Lord saying, I I am sending you, don't you want to serve him? Don't you want to be mighty warrior? I mean, don't you want to be a giant? I mean, is there no part of you that doesn't want to just make a difference for him? I don't understand. I know what it is to feel unimpressive. I know what it is to feel weak. I I, I know what it is to be a victim of circumstances outside my control. I I think in that sense, I know what it is to be like Gideon. I like when the angel of the Lord says, go with the strength you have. I'm sending you. Go with the strength that you have and rescue the Israelites from the Midianites. I mean, that is a big job. And I mind you, we're talking to like a teenager who's never really even had a job. Like he's never even like worked at Chick-fil-A. Never had a job ever. And all of a sudden, he's got the biggest job in the country. And the Lord says, go with the strength you have. Rescue the Israelites. I'm sending you. I mean, It's that with the strength you have that gets me, because I want the angel to say, go in my power, you know, like like something like that, you know, go, you know, in the strength I give you, but he said, go in the strength you have, you know, now that's not to say that God's not going to supply strength. All of our strength comes from him. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, understand? All of my strength comes from him. And God is going to give Gideon everything he needs to do, everything God wants Gideon to do. Gideon is going to be a man of courage, a man of valor. He is going to be a hero. He's going to be a warrior. He's none of those things yet, but he's going to have to go anyway. He's got to take the first step. He's never given a speech. He's never rallied troops into battle. He's never devised a battle plan. He's never done any of these things, but I'm telling you, he's ready to go. Go in the strength you have. He'll take the step that he needs to take right now, and and the next step, God will take care of him, and God's going to supply strength for every single step. Just go. Just go. You may not have everything that you think you need to take the whole journey, but you can take the next step. Just go. I'm sending you. If I could whisper in the ear of every child in this church, tell them they're a giant, 
a hero, a warrior, I would. And get me close to your kids, I will. <laughs> I will. If I get close to their Bibles, I'll be writing in all their Bibles. I want that for them. I want them to know that, that, that there's something in them that they can't see, but God's put it there. And it needs to be released. But it's not just the children, you all. Not just the little ones. God's sending you. You could yet be one of God's giants. A hero. God needs a woman just like you. He's calling calling you. He's sending you. So go. In the strength you have, in the strength he'll provide, just go. Go rescue the people. Listen to that frustration in you, that, that part of you that says somebody needs to do that, somebody needs to go. You go. Sending you, understand? Go change the world. Go. Pray with me.